and welcome to Primarily Friends, your guide to the 2020 Democratic primary. I'm Catherine. And I'm Bert. This episode is the first of our candidate deep dives. That's right. And who better to kick it off than Bernie Sanders? So, Bernie Sanders was born in Brooklyn in 1941, and that is where he acquired his very distinctive accent. And even though he hasn't lived in Brooklyn for a very long time, he still sounds like he lives down on Flatbush Ave. Um, He was born to working class parents, and his dad was an immigrant from Austria-Hungary, which is now part of Poland. They grew up pretty poor, um, think like tenement style housing, um, paycheck to paycheck living, that kind of stuff. He eventually went to college in Chicago, and while he was a student, he became very active and interested in uh, the civil rights movement and various protest movements. And there's actually a very famous photo of him uh, from a civil rights protest in Chicago. It was publicized during the 2016 campaign, and I'm sure it'll go around again, and it shows him kind of being... Uh, oppressed by police for protesting for civil rights. Yeah, and he um, actually did get arrested during the civil rights movement as well. The police were pretty arrest happy in that time period, and they would throw you in jail just for looking at them funny during a protest. So, uh, I believe it. Yeah, so that that famous photo of him. Uh, there's another one of him getting arrested. <laughs> from the Chicago Tribune in 1963. We should link that in the show description. Yeah. Um, Plus, if you like, really, it's like a really well-composed photo, uh, black and white. It's good. It's good stuff. It's Um, like a Renaissance painting. Yes. So that's definitely where he kind of got his first taste of progressivism, I think, and the whole idea of fighting for the underdog, fighting against the powers that be, so on and so forth. And then he did this very strange thing that I find really fascinating. And neither of us knew about this before we did research for this episode, which is pretty telling because we're both, we were both very strong Bernie people in 2016. Yeah, Um, this was both a shocker to me and then also, in hindsight, makes complete sense. Yeah, it's very in line with his character. It's it's very on brand. So after college, he decided to, like, you know, find himself a little bit, do some traveling, and he ended up spending time in Israel on this thing called a kibbutz, or a kibbutz. Can you spell that? uh, K-I-B-U-T-Z. Thank you. And uh, if you didn't know what this thing is before uh, I'm about to tell you, don't worry, I didn't either, and I don't think anybody does. It's pretty much a communal living, hippie, socialist utopia. Yeah, they're like camping out. Yeah, shared responsibilities. Like cooking their own food. Yeah, no currency, everybody's kind of just bartering for stuff. 
Um, everybody shares food, everybody shares water, all your basic resources are shared. And they say socialism would never work. They, well, I, I think he eventually moved back to the United States because he didn't enjoy it. But I, I, I think if he, if college is where his kind of progressive activism side was born, I think this must have had a huge impact on his economic outlook. Um, you know, living in a place where lots of basic necessities to live were considered rights, not privileges, really shaped what he would become later in life. So how did he become the mayor of Burlington, Vermont? That's a good question. Um, he def- I think he moved up to Vermont after he got married. Yeah, yeah. So he moved up to Vermont and... He, according to the New York Times cover story, he moved there because he thought it was going to be the most liberal place in the country and therefore the closest thing to his politics. So I guess if you're liberal, move to Vermont. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the takeaway. Yeah. And he started going to some local political action meetings and got involved in the activism scene there kind of continuing what he started in Chicago. And eventually people were like, hey, we really like you. You're very charismatic. You're a really good public speaker. And you should run for mayor. And then he did. And then he did. And he won. And he did win. It was a three-way race because he decided not to run as one of the two major party candidates. Huh. Yeah. So oftentimes in American politics, third party bids fail spectacularly, but he was able to successfully draw enough votes away from disaffected Republicans and disaffected Democrats who were kind of just tired with the way things are and wanted change. And so they were like, okay, I guess we'll give this young upstart socialist guy a chance and um the really funny part is the year he won that election uh, and he ran as a democratic socialist in vermont was the same year that the ronald reagan uh revolution swept across the country and ronald reagan just like crushed his opponent in the electoral college and the whole media narrative was like conservatism is back ronald reagan is gonna be like the second coming of jesus christ and that like he will make conservatism the the only yes great again the only type of political dogma that is acceptable in america and at the same time as ronald reagan was like making conservatism cool again bernie was like hey i'm a socialist vote for me And he also won. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I guess he was right when he moved to Vermont, thinking that this would be a liberal place. Yeah, the headline should have said, Ronald Reagan rebirths conservatism, except in Vermont. (laughs) Accurate. Well, I I think, uh, you know, let me just double check. But I think Ronald Reagan even won Vermont. So lots of people voted both for Reagan and Bernie Sanders. That is so weird. Yeah, he uh, he did. He won Vermont. Very weird. Very strange. 
split ticket voting, which is, uh, you know, something we will see again a little later in this story. Ooh. Yeah. So he's Intrigue. He served as mayor of Vermont, and then uh, he, I guess, would you say he was recruited to run for Senate? He was very, very strongly encouraged to run for Senate. Mm. <laughs> His constituents in Vermont absolutely adore him, uh, still to this day. Uh, and they were very adamant that he should try to run. So in 2007, he won the Senate seat for Vermont, and he has kept it ever since. He was kind of an outcast. Did he run? No, he didn't. He didn't run as a Democrat. No, he didn't, I don't think. But he had this agreement. So once he actually got into the Senate, the Democrats were like, okay, what? Like, what is this guy's deal, right? Mm -hmm. So then they kind of struck this deal with him where he would vote Democrat. And like, basically, he was a Democrat in function. And he did this one so he could actually, I guess, like, actually participate and work with people and like kind of bridge that weird little gap. That was very smart. That was a very good political move. Yeah, I don't think it was a good move. Yeah. Um, the the way the Senate works is very strange in that the party that has the majority, their leader, pretty much has sole authority to appoint people to different boards and um, subgroups or committees. Yeah, that's what they're called, committees. And they obviously only pick people from their party to be in charge of those committees. And so if Bernie wanted to have any say in anything, he, he had to make a deal. So fast forward a bit. Uh, Vermonters still love him very much. And this is a fun fact. He was pressured by his constituents to run for president in 2012, but decided not to. <laughs> because he just didn't feel like it was the right time, right? Mm. So then four years later, in 2016, the political campaign we all know and love became a thing. Yeah. And boy, was it a thing. Literally no one thought he would do well, and they thought he would just not even make it to the debates. Media was super against him. People pretty much wrote him off as soon as he started campaigning. Well, yeah, wait, let's, let's unpack why. Like, why did yeah, okay. people think let's, he let's had get in no there. Let's get chance? In there. Uh, probably because he was running against Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that was part of that's it. a huge one. Hillary, like, Hillary was so good at clearing the field that she got something like almost every single woman in Congress to sign a letter saying that they would support her and that they wouldn't run against her for president. Yep. Like, dang. Yeah, and you know, the fact that Bernie called himself a democratic socialist, which, let's be real, people only hear it's socialist. Yep. Well, he's, he was super far to the left. Yeah. Like People thought that there was no way he would be able to gain a platform because he was so polarizing. I don't think we can really understate how far to the left he is or was at the time compared to the rest of the Democratic Party at that period yeah. of time like now we're seeing i mean we, we went over this a lot in our candidate breakdown episodes which is if you haven't listened to already you should you should you should um but the bernie effect as it were 
kind of shifted political discourse in the Democratic Party to the left to kind of meet him where he's at. But before he ran in 2016, it was definitely very taboo to call yourself a socialist of any kind, I would say. Yeah, I, I would say even still today, it's maybe it's less taboo, taboo still, but yeah. like definitely still could be a liability, especially in a general election. Yeah, it's definitely still um, a very easy thing for people to point at. Yeah, I mean, my mind immediately goes back to like President Obama in 2008 he was painted as a socialist and as like incredibly liberal, way too liberal for the country. Republicans and Fox News like repeatedly slandered him as a communist or as like a dictator who's going to take away your freedoms. When in reality, when you look at what um, political scientists used to chart somebody on a conservative to liberal spectrum he's pretty liberal but bernie is like off the charts liberal compared to obama yeah yeah so if in 2008 obama was the standard as the left wing of the democratic party bernie was like not even on the charts that's how far left he was exactly but despite all of the things that seem to be working against him he ended up getting between 40 and 45% of delegates. He got people still downplayed his accomplishments, and the DNC clearly chose Hillary from day one. You know, he was a little salty, which is fine. Um, he still supported Hillary and told his supporters to support her and was very kind about it. Yeah, we should make it pretty clear that his his main gripe was with the DNC and the yeah, not with Hillary. Yeah, the woman who was running it at the time, Debbie Watser- Wasserman Schultz, and not with Hillary. Although I will say there is a gif from the 2016 election, <laughs> from the debates, where he side-eyes Hillary so hard, and it is so glorious. It is just, uh I think she had just accused him of like being a corporate shill or something, and his face was priceless it's one of my favorite reaction gifs of all time i love when politicians just give that withering stare yes because he didn't say anything like the the moderator was like oh bernie would you like to rebut and he's like no and just glared at her because it's so obviously not like it doesn't hold any water no i think he's the most anti-corporate show you can possibly get yeah so despite everything working against him how no one in the media gave him the time of day, how the DNC essentially picked Hillary in the beginning, how people thought he would just not get enough percentage of the um, popularity polls to make it to the debates at all, that he would get voted out. He made it all the way to the end and got between 40 and 45% of delegates. So he did super, super well. Compared to what everyone thought he would do, yes. which was nothing. <laughs> I would even, a hot take, spicy take, alert, Taco Bell take alert. I would say if Trump did not win the general election, if Hillary had won, the biggest story out of the entire 2016 election would have been Bernie Sanders. And you know, Bernie Sanders has a personal sort of importance for me and Burks. we did see a burning rally together in new york we did we got lost going there but got there eventually 
We watched from the street. It was very cool. It was. He had a whole slew. Did we talk about this already on this podcast? We mentioned it, but we can go into more detail. Yes, good. Good. Yes. <laughs> um, he had a whole slew of great openers, including Vampire Weekend. Very good band. Um, Rosario Dawson. Yes. <laughs> Rosario Dawson, you know, like Cory Booker's girlfriend now. Oh, yeah. I yeah. forgot that they were dating now. They're a thing. He called her his boo, which made me want to Ralph. Oh my god. <laughs> the cringiness of that was underscored by you saying that you wanted to Ralph. <laughs> uh, and then, and then, after all of these great openers, he emerged. He took the stage. <laughs> Unfortunately, this wasn't the one with the bird. No. Really disappointed about that. No, we were even in a park. We were, it was very nice. Yeah, it was it was in um Washington Square Park and he stood underneath the big Arc de Triomphe. He gave a very good speech. I mean, everyone who's heard him speak knows he's a very impassioned speaker. Yeah. I mean, I think we had both heard his um his general stump speech via like news or or just read about it, but hearing it in person was so much more emotionally moving because it it just comes across so clearly that he deeply cares about this stuff yeah he does you can feel it when he talks about it yeah it's not just like oh i'm saying this because i know that you guys are liberal and therefore will like it and cheer when i say it if if it is that i'll be shocked and he deserves an oscar because (laughs) (laughs) It's just so clear that he deeply emotionally cares about this, these issues. Yeah, and it's, I think it was really unfair. A lot of people criticized him for being a demagogue, and like people compared him to Trump, and said that he was basically Trump but on the left. And like, there's no emotional investment behind Trump's speeches. Like he, he just says what he knows people want to hear, you know. Yeah. And, and I think he's the first to admit it. Yeah. And like Bernie very much, he does say things that he knows his constituents want, but he made sure to take us out of that hype for a second and just be like, this is really important. Like, here are the people getting hurt by this. Here are the people getting affected by this. Like, this is why this is important. And like, I know we all want this, but like, you know, we got to focus on the people who really need this. He like brought our focus around a lot during the during the rally which was really important i really thought that was important and i don't know how people i mean people calling him a demagogue have never seen him in person probably because you know if you just see a man shouting about socialism on tv in the news (laughs) it's very different it's very different than hearing the entire speech it is it is very different I do think the proof is in the pudding in that he's been saying the same things for so long he's you know, always pointing out income inequality is bad, economic disparity is bad, monopolies ruling over America is bad, workers deserve more rights, more pay, and just generally capitalism, you know, maybe has some downsides that we should work to fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of the most consistent candidates running, I think. Yes. I do sometimes hear um people criticize that they're like oh he's tone deaf he is not responding to the issues that matter today but like 
to him, they do matter. Well, they obviously do matter today, though. It's like people find old political cartoons and can still relate them to today from like, and these cartoons are from like 1930 or whatever. Like, yes, a oh lot of God. things that yes. were relevant back in the day are relevant today again, namely fascism. <laughs> um, yeah. But capitalism and the problems therein are always relevant to our society. Yeah. I mean, at the risk of incurring the wrath of any historians that listen to this podcast, um, I, I do think that a lot of the issues that are around today can be directly related to, like, the Gilded Age in the early 1900s. Those were big problems of income inequality and uh, homelessness and general um, lack of uh, food and people being able to take care of themselves. And relying on a labor force that doesn't have full rights. Child labor. mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now it's undocumented people, but it was child labor in the early 1900s. Yeah. And that was also the time of conspicuous consumption, which was just all of these incredibly rich people flouting how much money they have for um political game often makes my hand itch for the guillotine let me tell you uh okay spicy take i'm not endorsing that one (laughs) okay i love guillotine jokes i think they're hilarious (laughs) but i know that it's like not a good (laughs) it's not a good look it's bad optics did you know that the last uh execution via guillotine in france was like surprisingly recent wasn't it like in the 1970s or something yeah it was like like very recent yeah all right so let's let's finally we were avoiding this the whole time kind of this is very far down in our list but we have to talk about it the bernie bro the bernie bro do you can you just remind our listeners what the stereotype of the bernie bro is so the bernie bro Basically, a Bernie bro is someone who is very, very critical of Hillary, very dismissive of Hillary, and very into Bernie Sanders to the point where if he lost the primary, the Bernie bro would simply not vote in the general election. Bernie or nothing. Bernie or bust. The stereotype tends to be like, tends to portray them as very, very condescending. Oftentimes it goes hand in hand with sexism. I mean, like, let's lay it bare. The the stereotype is angry, young, white guy on Twitter. Usually with a man bun or a beard. Mm, yep. Yeah. Angry white guy on Twitter. Angry, like, liberal guy on Twitter. So are they real? I think that Bernie or Bust people are very real, yes. But are they even a large minority of his supporters? No. No, they're really not. And, like, I I think we're seeing this with recent news about the 2020 Democratic primary. Uh, Twitter Democrats are not a majority of actual Democrats. And sometimes Twitter can be amplified beyond its actual impact. It's really wild to me that people will base their opinions of an entire candidate's supporters based on angry people on twitter 
Like, what a sample size. Yeah. Ugh. Like, not to say that sexism played no part in Hillary losing the election, but, like, Bernie Sanders supporters were not the main perpetrators of that sexism. Yeah. Have you have you heard of a candidate called Donald Trump? Yep. And even, like, demographically, if you look at Bernie supporters, the biggest divider, like, the biggest gap wasn't race or gender. It was age. With Bernie, we're, like, manufacturing this gender divide where there really isn't one. At least not in terms of, like, a 50-50 split. Like, there's Bernie bros are not taking over the Bernie Sanders, like, pool of people. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that bears repeating. You know, like, a, a majority of Democratic women under the age of 45 voted for Bernie in 2016. Including me. Yes. Like, the, the biggest gap was not race or gender. It was age millennials and young voters really like bernie and older people like hillary yep and it's very interesting to draw some comparisons to 2020 we're seeing the same exact divide but with joe biden like older people like joe biden yep huh obviously it's very early it's very early so also uh bears repeating joe biden has not announced he's officially running and he's still leading the polls yep Okay, Joe. Don't do it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy. T- you know. You know what? I. I think he should. I think he should run, and I think that there are enough other candidates that it will be a good, honest primary, and he will have to run on the merits of his own candidacy. It well, won't be a, a coronation like twenty sixteen. Well, we can talk about that. In another episode that's not supposed to be all about Bernie Sanders. So I will hold my tongue about that. And so basically, the Bernie bro is an overemphasized, hyper-fictionalized account of some Bernie supporters. And most of them are not like that. And people not voting in the election was bad. But Bernie or bust people are not the reason Hillary Clinton lost the election. Wait, can I can I pull out my soapbox? Can I get on a soapbox real quick? You may. Step on up there. Okay, here we go. I'll try to make this quick. Listen. Listen, everyone. 2016. It was close. It was very close. Less than a couple thousand votes in only three states out of 50 swung the entire election. That's how close it was. So one, if you are the type of person who thinks... Ah, my vote doesn't matter. Get the hell out of here, it does. Especially if you live in a swing state. I'm not gonna lie to you, if you're, like, voting Republican in California or voting Democrat in Alabama, you you know what, maybe your, your vote, because the Electoral College is dumb, does have a little less weight. But, if you live in a swing state, your vote counts, like, seven times as much as it really should. So, if you were a Bernie or Bust person, we forgive you for your sins, but please vote, please don't not vote, because you could be the change, right? You're not the reason Hillary lost. There's a whole lot of reasons. She ignored the upper Midwest. There was systemic sexism. Um, There was James Comey's letter in October that definitely moved the polls. But... 
still in an election so 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 close every vote matters and if 2020 polling is showing that the general election is going to be close again please vote that's my soapbox clap 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 thank you bird you're welcome (laughs) uh so speaking of polling for 2020 how's everyone doing oh interesting you know if you go to realclearpolitics.com great great they have a synthesis of all the polls from major news outlets and they kind of combine them into this one huge graph yep and that is where i'm getting all my polling information in this election yeah i endorse real clear politics um i also endorse 538 um their polling tracker not their op-eds because obviously an op-ed is someone's opinion but their their statistics are really good so right now joe biden is in first Mm. very fun very Mm. funny kind of love love that he hasn't announced yet and yet he's currently winning can we get a rough idea i don't have the information in front of me i think you do can we get a rough idea of numbers so Biden is at 31.5%. Sanders is at 21.2%. So Biden's in, you know, 10-point lead over Sanders. But then the third person, Beto O'Rourke, is at 8.8. Whoa, so there's a big drop. So there's a very big drop from two to three. So Biden and Sanders are, like, up there. But then O'Rourke and Harris are neck and neck because O'Rourke is 8.8 and Harris is 8.5. Yeah, so they're very close. And then the next highest is Elizabeth Warren with 5.8. Oh, she deserves so much better. And then it drops from 5 to 3, then from 3 to 1, then from 1 to 0.8 and 0.7. Brutal. Yeah. People who aren't even 1% include Inslee, Hickenlooper, Yang, Gabbard, and Delaney. Not shocked. Also not shocked. Um, Gillibrand's at 1.2, by the way, and Klobuchar's at 1.7. Oh, I think they both deserve a little bit more than that. Cory Booker's right behind Elizabeth Warren. He's got 3.8. And Pete Booty Judge is at mm. 3.2. Oh, yes, my boy. I am 100% biased. I love him. <laughs> I am aware. So, yeah, Biden and Sanders are far and away the strongest polling candidates right now. I am very, very interested to see what happens if Joe Biden does not announce i'm also interested in that i i have no idea how it would shake out but i i did see um a quinnipiac university poll which is very reputable they do really good work there um and it was asking people about their second choice and the number one second choice for joe biden voters was bernie so that's kind of weird (laughs) right and it was vice versa the number one second choice for bernie now it was much closer was joe and then right behind um was elizabeth warren do you think it's just like notoriety like these are the two guys i've heard of but i've heard of this guy more so i'm gonna vote for him yes i think it's that i also think it is people seem to care a lot about beating trump 
and for a whole variety of reasons, they think those two are the best suited to beat Trump. Hmm. Well, time will tell. We should just, like, do a thing about the polls every week. Just kind of, here's how the polls are doing. And that's going to do it for us. Thank you all so much for listening. You can tweet us at PrimeFriendsPod on Twitter or email us at PrimarilyFriends at gmail.com. And tune in next week for another candidate deep dive. What are we doing next week, Bert? We're going to do Beto O'Rourke. All right. Look forward to Mr. O'Rourke next week. I've been Catherine. I've been Bert. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The most like analogous and analog analogous analogous and analogous. It's the most analogous. <laughs> <laughs> it's the closest thing that I can think of in the United States. <laughs>